what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason And today is all about games I'm going to talk about a couple games that I played in lately And then Carl Rodriguez is going to join me to talk about his recently concluded Call of Cthulhu Invictus game. I hope you enjoy that discussion. I'm just going to let that discussion play the episode out. So if I want to thank Carl for joining me. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening to the episode. If you have any comments, questions, whatever, you can leave me a message on Anchor. You can email me at nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you want to include an audio file with that email, I can play that on the air, or I can read email comments on the air if you want. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Star Trek Fleet Captains. So this is a pretty fun game that my son and I played. It's a board game published by WizKid Games maybe a decade ago. Um, it's a Heroclix game, so all the ships are mounted on bases that have Heroclix in them. And you use those Heroclix to show their current power levels. And you can, you can shift their power levels, so you can shift engine, power to engines or power to shields or power to weapons, you know, whatever you want to do, or to sensors. And, each, and, and there's three ranges of power levels for each ship to show is when they're undamaged, when they're damaged and when they're severely damaged. And you can click through. And then there's also, like, for the for the Klingons, they have cloak, cloaking devices, so you can have them cloaked. That's a level. And it's pretty cool. It's a pretty good way to, to show the Star Trek dynamic of, dynamic of, you know, put all power to engines or put all power to shields or do this or do that. You know, it's a good way to show that in-game. In this game, you put out a field of hexes. It comes with hex tiles, individual hex tiles, and they go face down on the board or face down on your table. And the, nor, your, your initial setup for two players is, I think, 27 hexes. The, the base game comes with 50, and then there are a couple expansions, and you can make a bigger board if you're going to play with more players. Normally, it's a two-player game, and then you can buy expansions, do two or three players. Um, I mean, three or four players. I've got... I've got everything they published for this game, I think. The base game, the Romulan Empire expansion, and the Dominion expansion. And the cool thing about this is not only... Do, so you go through these hexes, and there are planets and nebula and stars and all kinds of different things you encounter as, you, as you're ex- exploring. And then there's an encounter deck where you come across all kinds of different things. You know, everything from tribbles to mirror universes to dead colonies to sabotage... Mysterious Signals, Massive Tachyon Pulses, um, Independent Traders, Dilithium Recrystallization, Frangi Explorers, 
just you, there's tons of or these um, encounter decks, and each time you enter a new hex, there's a chance you, you draw one of those. But the real genius of this game are the mission decks. And so the mission decks, there's three different kinds of missions in the base game. Science, influence, and combat. And then the expansions add espionage as well. And each ship is more suited to different things. So a scientific, a scientific ship would draw more science missions than combat missions, where a combat ship would draw more combat missions than science missions, right? A diplomatic ship would draw more influence missions. Pretty straightforward. And, and so you draw a number of missions based on the fleet that you, you put together. You, depending on what, what, how many victory points you have will depend how big your fleets are. Typically, you have three or four ships in your fleet. And those ships depend what missions you draw. So it's pretty cool. And then you get to staff the ships. And this is where the game's really fun. Because when you staff the ships with your command decks, each, um, each civilization has 10 command decks of 10 cards. And you pick four, command, four of those command decks for, to build your hand in this game. And so like the Federation's command decks, you have a Captain Picard deck, a Captain Kirk deck, a Starfleet command deck, flagship fleet deck, an evasive maneuvers deck, a heavy security deck, a wild space deck, a sensors deck. So you, you get the idea. And each of those decks, of course, will be, you know, some will have more combat cards, some will have more operations cards. They have crew members in there. You, it's got crew members from all the various series. Um, not the newest series, of course, but up to, you know, 10 years ago. So you have, I don't have the... I, I, the box isn't here handy, but, you, you know, you, you have all your, you, you have the original series and Next Generation and Voyager and um, the one with the space station, Deep Space Nine. I think those four shows are the ones that are, are you know, included in this set, in these games. But, yeah, it's pretty great. It's, um, it, it's got good rules. It's got good cloaking rules for the Klingons or for the other civilizations that develop cloaking technology. Um so when you cloak a ship, you take it off the board and you put a token down, face down. And that token's going to have a number on it that the player is going to have so they can track where the ship is. And then the cloaked ship can create, um, you know, false signals. So each cloaked ship can use an action to create false signals. And then you can, add, so you'll have a bunch of these cloaking tokens on the board, but, you know, and then the Federation or whoever, their opponents have to, scan those or encounter those to see if it's a real ship or just a, an image on their radar. And so it's, it's actually a really good system. And the way it's set up, depending on the missions you draw, you can easily play and never interact with the other player. The game we played was that way. We had mainly science missions, and so we never had to do combat, although combat rules are, are pretty elegant as well. But all in all, this is a really good game, highly recommended. As I say, it's an older game. It's probably out of print now. I don't know. But if you get a chance to play Star Trek Captains and, and you're a Star Trek fan, highly recommended. Um, I, I think it does a really good job of capturing the feel of Star Trek, that exploration, and a little bit of combat and mystery. And, and it's, all in all, it's a really fun game. Adventures in Middle-Earth. Yes, that's right. Arlen Walker has broken my 5e cherry. I can no longer say I haven't played 5th edition. So Arlen Walker over at Live from Helm's Wasteland ran a one-shot for my son and I, of Adventures in Middle-Earth. Wyatt played a man from Dale, who's mainly like an archer, 
and I played a Bjorning, who was more of a melee fighter. He wasn't a, sh a skin changer, but, you know, he was kind of a, you know, a heavy melee fighter, and he had a great axe and some thrown axes, and he could go into a battle rage. And it, it was fun. Um, definitely the, the 5e influence and the things in 5e that I don't, I'm not aware of kind of bit me in the butt a little bit. So, you know, we enter into combat, and then Wyatt, who's played 5e before, starts spouting off this, oh, I'm going to do this to buff him, and I'm going to do that and that. Uh, and, you know, I, I was totally clueless. <laughs> I'm like, I attack with my axe. And he's like, I'm going to use this action to do this, this, and this. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so my ignorance w was very apparent. I didn't, you know, go and read the 5e player's handbook or anything. And I went to, you know, or, or read up on these things. Arlen kind of made the, gave us pre-gens and walked us through it. We did it on roll 20 and the character sheets. So I just played off the character sheet effectively, right? And, um... So I had to do that thing that old Colin Green doesn't like, where I was looking at the character sheet to figure out what I could do. <laughs> but actually, that's not true. I, I improvised some things, too, and it, and it worked out well. Arlen's a great GM, so, you, you know, he he walked me through it. So it wasn't too painful, but it was obvious that there's a lot of things in 5e, kind of like Pathfinder. There's little things that if you don't haven't read the rules and you're not familiar with it, there's little actions and opportunities you can take. It, it's a tactical game in a lot of ways. And Avengers of Middle-Earth reflected that. Because you have, like, certain things that you can only use so many times before you have a long rest. And then in Avengers of Middle-Earth, your long rest is like a week at a safe haven. So you have to be really careful of those resources. So it, it does turn into a resource management game. Which I think for a Middle-Earth game is kind of fair. But, but it was pretty good. You know, we fought some... What all did we fight? We fought some goblins and some wargs and um, some wolves and... And all in all, it was pretty good. We interacted with some dwarves, and we interacted with some a little village of people there on the edge of Mirkwood, and and it was pretty fun. Um, I enjoyed it. I would we we did the journey mechanics, and um, he basically gave each of us two rolls, I think, and um, I think there are four rolls total. I'm I'm not really up on Adventures in Middle Earth. I I'll admit, but 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 I think it went well. We rolled horribly for the rolls, like to embark in the journey and do the things. So we like got points of despair right off the bat and points of exhaustion. <laughs> we were rolling pretty bad initially, a lot of ones, but but I, but I I'm very thankful Arlen ran that game. We had a, like I say we really enjoyed it. Um, he's talking about maybe running a a one shot or or you know a couple sessions of Adventures of Middle Earth or the One Ring after Sword and Scoundrel stops my Saturday game, and I hope he does. I I'd like to really try the One Ring, and I think we'll have enough players we could do that. Um, and I think also Carl Rodriguez is going to fit in a game of BX Gangbusters in there, with, you know, between campaigns. So that'll be really cool because I've been looking forward to playing that a lot. And, you know, I know Carl's definitely going to do it justice. So anyhow, so I, I can no longer say I've never played 5e. There you go. I guess I should address one other thing as far as 5e and Adventures in Middle-Earth go. And that's character death and how hard it is to kill characters. So there's definitely a lot more going on with characters as far as abilities and things you can do and options, even low-level ones, than there are in like OSC kind of games, older editions. You have a lot more individual options. I just said that twice, didn't I? But whether it's, you know, combat abilities or, you know, you can do this two times before you have a long rest, you can do that. So there's a lot more to that. 
and, and they're a lot more durable. So we pl- we had second level characters, the pregens, and I don't know about the other one, but my character had twenty seven hit points, and so he in the first fight he lost like six hit points. Um, he also had some kind of resist resistance or something that knocked down the amount of damage he took. So he ignored like the first two or three hit points of every time he got hit. I'm not sure exactly what that was. But, you know, so he lost like six hit points the first time. Not a big deal. But then in the, we had the two two fights. In the big fight where he's fighting this giant warg, um, he ended up getting knocked down and knocked out. You know, down to zero hit points. So the way that worked is he got that knocked down to zero hit points, and then we went and did death saves. And Avengers of Middle Earth doesn't have a lot of healing magic in it, so I guess normally he would have gotten healed by somebody or something, and that would have, you know, made it even easier. But as it was, he got knocked down, and I failed a death save. I made a death save, then I failed a death save, and then. Somebody was able to come by. Well, somebody. Wyatt's character had came by to do medicine, and he stabilized me, and he rolled well enough on his medicine that, he, like I say, he stabilized me. He got a good roll. If My understanding is if he failed that roll, then I would have had to roll another death save, which I actually accidentally did. I hit it again, and I would have failed it. So if he hadn't stabilized me, my character would have died, you know, failing his three death saves. Um so, you know, I, I think I was pretty good, the, the setup. Um, it drags it out a little bit, but it gives people time to come stabilize you. I don't necessarily think it's a bad mechanic. You know, it didn't break the game or pull me out of the game or anything. Um, so I'm not, you know, super against it. I, I actually never really had a huge issue with it, because ICRPG is not a whole lot different other than, you, you know, it's, it's a lot more limited. You have a variable number of rounds that somebody can get to you and save you. And you get to roll each of those rounds to see if you come out of it on your own. So I, I think it works. It definitely adds a little bit of suspense in there. Um, but I definitely think you have a better chance of surviving than not with the, this version of Death Saves. Is that good or bad? Eh, it's just the game system. So it's not good or bad. It's just the way this particular game works. But yeah, I, I just figured I would address that since we actually went into the Death Save process. I, I ought to mention it real quick so there you go joining me again is fan favorite carl rodriguez how are you doing today carl jason wish to ask me questions on the middle of eating well, i, I asked if you're see i asked carl if he's ready and all and he takes this huge he's like yeah i'm ready and then he takes a huge bite <laughs> it's all good so we finished i'll, I'll fill in while charles carl's chewing we, we finished our Call of Cthulhu Invictus game finally. It ran, a, it ran a little bit longer than anticipated originally, which isn't a bad thing. Nope. Yeah. Oh, am I supposed to answer or respond? Oh, to no. Well, it's, or no, no, it's not, it's, no, I'm just saying it. I was just trying to fill the dead air. This is oh. kind of your, your thing. But yeah, so originally, how long did you, did you think it was going to take? Right, so... I thought it would be one or two sessions for the first part one, which was I, I titled uh, after the fact Varus's Folly. But I think that first part, part one, lasted like five sessions. And then there was an interlude session. Um, 
which I was, it was great that it took like one session. And then I thought the last part would take about two sessions. But I think that took about four, maybe five also. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was definitely like a 150% increase in the amount of time I had planned, but I think it worked out. A lot oh, I do too. Was, I, er, sorry, <clears throat> go ahead. A lot of it was character, character building and kind of exploring the world, exploring their characters' motivations and passions. Right. Yeah. I think it with the, I think it was great. It went longer because it let us, like you say, explore the characters. We got to do a lot more in depth, but it's interesting because you had originally thought about this as a, as a um, convention game. Isn't that right? Yeah. Was probably thrown out the, well, part one, maybe thrown out the window for that. Um, and part two could be salvaged or something like that. I mean, I have an outline, but I don't know. Maybe it's just cool to have done it and think about something else that could rework into a, a smaller convention type scenario. Right. Well, it's you could fine. always do, you could always do part one, one year and part two, the second year, the following year at convention. Right. You, you right. know, cause well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to be in both sessions per se. I mean, it'd be great if you get players come back, but if yeah. you didn't, it wouldn't really break it, you know? No, I just say this person, but I take, I would do like I did here in a way, take the results of the first session. And if some characters survived, then they would be aged and if characters died, there would be some relative. Right. That it almost in a way was like a doppelganger of the previous character, or, you know, you know a spiritual representation in a way. And I think one character actually did that. One player mm -hmm. did that in this game. Yeah, Colin did that. And, yeah, but I think it all worked out really well. I, I think everybody had a good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from players on it, so which is good. Yeah. But so I think that's all you can expect or anticipate in the game. Um, some really cool moments that I've enjoyed, uh, both in part one and part two. I thought it was kind of cool to also something I'd never tried before was do the sort of pseudo generational idea, right? I mean. Uh -huh. <clears throat> I mean, I don't, I don't even know. So I know, like in old school gaming, it, it takes a while to level. Right. Um, and it's anticipated that there's some downtime in between adventures or leveling. Right. I think the more new, new school from 3.5 on, right, it's more like a video game. It's a rapid rise from zero to hero uh -huh. in, you know, no time, no time flat, you know. You think about these adventure paths that are very popular, right? You start at first level, and maybe it's—I don't think many of them have like, a, okay, in, at this point in time, you're going to take a year off and come back, or you know, they don't really do that. Which going, maybe there's a month, two weeks to a month time off here and there, but but for the most part, you know, you don't stop for training, you don't take time off to to plant your crops. Right. So, but in, in this game, you know, there's there is definitely like a huge time period. And again, like I said, one of my favorite sessions in this 
mini campaign. So I guess it was like ele- was it 11, 11 sessions then? You think? Yeah. Um, it probably. It, it wasn't long. I guess we could go back and figure it out, but. Yeah. Um, so the one of my favorite sessions was the sort of interlude session where people figured out what happened or who they were now. Mm-hmm. I think the only other game that does that is like is maybe that has a sort of idea of time in between and or like like one one or two adventures a year is Pendragon. So then you have like a winter phase where you you know you're the default character is you're a lord of a manor and you have to get all that in gear and in order. Um that you can't just you have to do it on down downtime, not when you're out gallivanting chasing dragons right well there are a couple but yeah i think you're right most games have moved past that now um and then the old school then you would have to take time for training uh-huh. writing i think it, i mean off the top of my head it's probably wrong but in in either in the A D D or in second edition A D D, it was like a week or maybe even a month per level maybe a week per level so, you know that you had to train and you had to find a trainer and at some point, you could train on your own, but it still takes, you know, time. Right. Yeah. Ha- Hackmaster saw that building. I think Garantha is set. RuneQuest is set up where you have adventure, like you venture once yeah. in a season. Right. So RuneQuest again, you're a, again you're a farmer. Right. You're a farmer. You have obligations. You got to plant your crops. Right. They. It's kind of the real world. It's not the sort of weird, mm-hmm. weird niche career called adventurer. <laughs> right. Oh, I guess. Well, I guess we're talking about fantasy games. It's Call of Cthulhu, not really a fantasy game. All this was set in sort of a, you know, classical pre-gunpowder mm-hmm. era, right? But, um, for Rome. Well, yeah, but you bring that up. It's interesting because, yeah, because Call of Cthulhu kind of does in some adventures, right? Because when you look at, well, you know, Mass and our left type, of course, is your big example, right? And there, and there's some big time gaps in that. Depending well, yeah, but on how you I think it. it's a different, like it's like for RuneQuest, well, so so Pendragon is maybe closer in like leveling because mm-hmm. you have that glory mechanic, right? But you know, RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu have their skill-based systems. Like another game where there's a lot of time in between adventures is Traveler, right? Um, but those are also skill-based adventures. So you're already starting as co- as generally as competent as you're gonna be, mm-hmm. um, and you incrementally go up in ability. Travel is even worse, and that's why a lot of players get a little kind of frustrated because the the leveling up is you're accumulating wealth and fame and notoriety, but it's not it's not really a tangent level rise, and right. it, you don't even in, really increase in skills in that one. I no, guess they're rules, same but, thing, right? Harm yeah. master, same thing. There's, you increase incrementally. Um, and I know one player who played with us was like, "It's like, well, is that all we get?" You know, that's made a comment. So, because some people want, they really used to that ding, 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 and now you know, like, I, mean, I don't know, I haven't even looked what the actual mechanic is for like three, five, or Pathfinder, or or four, four or five, fifth edition. But I think you just the default. Or at least players argue the default is you ding automatically. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. even if you're in the middle of the dungeon and you get you ding. Yeah. So then the next the next hmm. session, 
you know, you ding at the end of the session, the next session, hey, we're all leveled. Right. Well, yeah, and that's a huge change, right? Because it used to be, you know, you'd get gold, you'd, you'd have to get that gold back to town to even get the mm-hmm. XP for it or the treasure back to town. You, you don't get it just for finding it. You mm-hmm. get it for actually finding it, bringing it back. Right. Cashing in your reward in a way. Right. Yeah. Oh, I guess we've gone off, gotten off a tangent. <laughs> a little bit. That's okay. The So, yeah, but we we went out with a bang. We finished out the, this this final two sessions, really. Yeah, I think. Uh, Go ahead. So my philosophy, because I, I mean, I, like I said, I had an outline. I didn't really have it. You know, what are the characters going to do? They can do whatever. I know there were some, I would say, dead time when I was like, okay, what are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? But I think generally speaking, um, I rewarded action. I mean, mm-hmm. I, as you could probably imagine, if you had waited because you're cautious, you know, because you're cautious and you want to be cautious, you know, um, then it could have got, it could have been worse. Right. The, the right. outcome of the situation could have been worse, you know, worse. Yeah, well, so, yeah, definitely. We. So I even had, like, I had in mind, okay, this, uh, when, as soon as they learn about uh, the ritual, it takes X number of, of days. How many days have they done the ritual? And then I rolled randomly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to see what percentage they completed. And I think I ended up having like about 60, 70% completion of the ritual. And I even in the background of, um, although, see, if you had the GM's perspective, you see I did roll on the table, but from the, from only at the GM. Um, but I did roll even like a power roll for the bad guy to maintain the efficacy of the ritual. Uh, so, you know, but again, I, I the players were bold. They were definitely lucky, I would say, in the last two sessions. Like mm-hmm. no one, no one was physically injured. That That is surprisingly amazing with well that's the, yeah all, i mean you, you mm-hmm. did there were some great roles when it came to like you know surprising when I mean, you had good plan I, I as a gm i reward good plans because i mean you're not gonna for the most part uh people aren't gonna just charge into battle if they can help it they're gonna set things up in, in, in the most advantageous way as possible you had in your group you had veterans you know veteran fighters and you know veteran strategists competent people so of course you're not going to just you know walk on down the road and fight things you're going to set up ambushes get into a advantageous position you had a good plan i rewarded it and you made the roles when they were necessary um i mean even with even with bonus roles you know it's not a given that you're gonna your bonus die advantage um it's not a given that you're gonna succeed but you know, I, I think uh, you were fortunate. Fortune favors the bold. It's an axiom used in classic literature, and that seems to have proven true because you mm-hmm. guys were kind of on it. Um, I, and there were some definitely some heroics, though. You know, uh, I would say, but uh, it ended it ended well. A lots of action, more action than we've seen. It was a cool buildup. I think, like in this part, the first session uh, was kind of. Uh, getting back together and then the second you know the, and the interlude and then the second the, the first actual real session of the second part uh the lost eagle was traveling up river and then there's two sessions spent a lot of role playing not a lot of because kind of more like like action by interaction right um with uh-huh. the with the deep one hybrid village um, so. right 
and then two and then i would say uh it was like two episodes two episodes of like almost high octane action you know a, a fight and then another fight and then the next time planning cleaning up after the fight another mm -hmm. brief fight that was part of that was a little bit unlucky actually but again once it came to combat it worked and then the, the last plan and the execution right? so that's the way i see it yeah I, but it could have gone it could have gone a number of ways right i mean i had mm -hmm. plans and contingencies so, but there was quick quick decisions and the dice the dice gods were favorable for the players not so much for the bad guys right yeah no i think it went really well as was as a player from player's perspective it was really exciting especially we the you know when we got down to those last couple sessions but you kind of kept us on our toes because you know we got to the village of what ended up being our allies and mm -hmm. you know we stopped on a cliffhanger with something coming out of the water which ended up being some deep ones or i assume there were some deep ones mm -hmm. and um so you know initially we think well we're going to fight all these villagers then we end up finding out that you know they're going to be, be our allies which depending on what the party did could have gone a different way right right if the party you know so if the party was as joe richter would say in the love the actual creator hp lovecraft mindset Mm -hmm. and were you know sort of prejudiced that it could have been it could have been a, a bloody mess and a bloody battle um which was honestly what uh, some of the characters naturally and their character backstory would, would, would have wanted to avoid anyway right allies and trading partners and also even for even the romans there were some hints that i had dropped um that maybe this is not these are you know they we heard that they they have our eagle punitively our roman duty to go punish them but hey that's why you're called to the mission um because maybe you guys can you know intervene here I mean, mm -hmm. whole, that was part of the premise right as well as the supernatural how do you think as from a player perspective how do you think the the weird supernatural went i i think it was well done the um so we had there are a number of the you lead it to the deep ones right and mm -hmm. the, the the village of the German tribe uh, who seemed to have like, you know, deep one hybrid blood, right? Right. That we, particular look about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was pretty, which, and if a player wasn't familiar, I mean, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody not familiar with deep ones and, and that kind of, even if they've never read the stories, just because of Call of Cthulhu, mm -hmm. you know, the pop, you know, a gamer, if you're playing with non-gamers, you could, you might be able to do that and they wouldn't know what's go happening. Right. But I think any of the gamers are going to automatically think of the, just because it's so pervasive, right. It's a cliche, but you know, when the adventure started back in the, you know, 30 years prior, you know, with the first part, you know, there's this rain, which we knew was kind of oppressive and kind of mysterious. And th there wasn't a lot of mystical things happening in that first, but it was, but it was in the background. Right. And then when we jumped ahead, these 30 years, you know, we're moving forward now, we had Derek's character had, um, was it Tarquinius had studied, you know, he had become a scholar and started studying the occults and some of the mythos mm -hmm. ways and stuff and collecting the books. But, you know, so we had the deep ones and the people had like the, the Innsmouth look, although obviously you didn't, we, you didn't right. call it that, right. but effectively for the listeners, that's what it was. And, um, you know, then we get, 
we go out and we actually find that they had been resurrected. And I spoke of this on previous recasts, but you, you know, so the Germanic tribe we're coming up against, we're, we're resurrecting these, or we're at least bringing, maybe not resurrecting, but they were, you know, bringing the Roman soldiers back up and animating the corpses. Or they were attempting to. Attempting but to, right. Again, so what guys, was the actual plan, I guess, if you don't, or it's up to you if you have, if you want to talk about well, that. Well, I mean, there's Arminius something, plan or, there's or something you, you didn't, well, I think, I don't even know if it was like Arminius's plan, mm-hmm. right? Are you got the characters I don't even know, is Arminius the actual originator of the plan or not, right? Right, so, yeah, it could have been the druid or whoever was with him or yeah, somebody off, some, off screen. Right, so some some cult, and mm-hmm. I think I think uh, both Gabriel's character, Yacom, uh, the slinger from northern Spain, and I think Curtius, uh, Vincent's character, Curtius, the doctor from Rome had mm-hmm. an inkling about the, the cult of Mordigian, uh, who you know, in, the, in the some mythos somewhere probably probably more Ashton Smith as opposed to Lovecraft, right? Um, but some Yogg-Sothery um, mythos out there that the ghouls worship Mordigian. It could even be stuff in stuff that I've read in the published material, and uh, there is this cult. Uh, that had a strong influence on some some members or some aspect of the of the, tri- the historical um, Cheruski tribe, and uh, they're the ones who have had this background influence that I've tried, tried to drop hints about. I mean, I don't know if I'll, you want me to give away like what the the whole background of the well, that's up to you. I I mean, you you definitely don't have to. Yeah, I, I probably shouldn't ask you that. That's not fair because I just can give it away for. If you're running again, so because well, the characters, I mean, I think the characters were content in their victory. They had other motivations, mm-hmm. and, and um, I think we we were happy wrapping it up there, as opposed to, and then like none of the bad guys got away, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so like uh, the the you did discover that there was that they had brought Arminius or at least his corpse, or the corpse of Arminius had been reanimated, was full of maggots and worms. Um, was able to fight pretty effectively it seemed i mean no one tried because you had made a deal with some other something else. oh yeah with the ekuemi um that was another weird supernatural event that happened but anyway he so there was that um and then there was the sort of the what i, I just started by default calling the dark druid who had like a, a very feral aspect but even when that guy right. tried to flee uh, one of the characters boldly went after him and, and cut in some great roles, cut him down. Yeah, you know, so it really became quickly ineffective. Right. Well, uh, and and we had thanks. I mentioned Tarquinius before, Derek's or Darren's oh, character, yeah. Yeah. and and Darren kind of got an ally for us in that final fight. Right. So he had been his backstory. His his interlude was that you know he had because of the weird that he had seen. Uh, during the the Battle of the of the Todeberg Forest, he invested a lot of his hard-earned money in the mercantile trade uh, in finding these eso- this esoterica, these books of forbidden knowledge, and he actually learned some spells, um, which was slowly, slowly, as uh, spells do, and call it completely drain your sanity. Uh, so in the last encounter, he basically began a ritual to summon uh, Cthulhu uh, Mythos monster, and it 
I mean, he had been preparing, you know, it's like he'd been almost preparing his whole life to this point or for this moment and had everything prepared and the roles were favorable because things can always, always go wrong with these, with this magic stuff. Um, and even though he was madly cackling in the storm, uh, the creature was summoned and went about his bidding and that helped slammed into the, the Germanic command group and kind of was a spearhead, the spear tip for the players to then follow and do what they needed to do. Okay. Yeah, he, he, I although, think that went well. It, was, it went yeah. well, and I was cool that it was a player-driven, you know, aspect of the supernatural in this game. Mm-hmm. Rarely do you really have characters like performing. I mean, it's usually the the bad guys who are performing the spells against the characters, and you're trying to stop, like you stop the ritual, right? This ritual of reanimation that they're attempting to do. Now we have throughout the game, we did have some magic cast against the characters. Right. Well, that was um, in the, yeah. In the previous session, uh, there was some uh, mysticism even in the first one. Even well, so in the first one, I, I guess from a standpoint for me, I think the first, the first part, Varus and Folly, I was it was more a psychological horror, a slow uh-huh. build. Every, Things were pretty subtle, and that's how I kind of like to have my Call of Cthulhu games a bit more subtle. Um, I think the second part, I think it was more upfront and direct, like a more, even more of a traditional Call of Cthulhu game as opposed to the previous one. To the previous one, there was grand, and whoever was orchestrating this, you know, really had a bigger, bolder plan, right? So, so some characters discovered, you know, ritual carvings. And you know, on the on the trees along the path of the, the Roman march, for example, the strange weather, that, and the the general oppression, uh, the, and miasma, and uh, I guess, in a way, depression, and despair. I guess is the best word that set in among the Roman, especially the leadership, and the, and actually, so some magic was used in that first part against the characters, but. I mean, these guys are super lucky or they have some sort of hack onto Roll20 because they roll like crazy. Crazy right. well when it's important. Yeah, it, well, and then right, the second no one, blast. None of the players, yeah, yeah, none of the players succumb to any of the despair or the background magic that was mm-hmm. quote unquote going on in the first one. And like I said, the second part was more direct, right? Your character, see your character again, you know, you use your Roll20 hack to, to beat, you know, beat the that dominate the withering, the the high powered spells that the, the an ally of the dark druid was attempting, and you just kind of shrug, your character shrugged them off. Right. Yeah. I. I. It, it was interesting. It was, it was. I think it was a good session. Um. I'm kind. Well. I assume if we had done things, you you're ready for us. If we had done things differently, though, we're we're gonna to try to react. Yeah. So again, I, I think I rewarded, uh, there was like, you guys were like nonstop and I probably was, I think if, if like for, if someone had gotten injured, then you probably would have been more cautious, but, uh-huh. but the, you know, the, the combat favored everyone, um, even people who got hit. You know, so in, in Invictus and I, and I think in, in Invictus, basically uh, armor is a, 
it reduces damage. Uh-huh. And there's a random roll. It's like a little add-on in Invictus that there's a random roll to see if your armor gets in the way of the attack or it protects you. There's really no hit location, so it kind of mimics hit locations. Right. Um, and, and when that when those were rolled, they were rolled like almost at the max to totally negate the damage. So no one was really injured in the first fight. I think that emboldened the group that even when the patrol came by, uh, you were like, okay, we're still good. We're going to fight. And then that went, even the one who tried to get away and, right? So if that guy had gone away, gotten away, things would have been different, right? But that's when, you know, and, and uh, uh, Freitas, who plays, who played Alicia, um, a Roman highborn woman, basically rolled one of her patented extreme hits on her bow mm-hmm. and one-shotted the, the fleeing bad guy. Right. Yeah, well, that was but, great. Uh, so then, and then if you had, and I think because you were fortunate, you maintained the high level of action and, and doing. Um, I think if you had retreated or, you know, if you had retreated um, or even there was even, you had thrown in, well, maybe we should get these, uh, these Chelsea that we rescued back to safety. Um, things could have gotten more interesting and worse, but I guess that probably would have led to more sessions. <laughs> Actually, right. Yeah. right. But if you had, if you had, if you had delayed, then, you know, then in fact, your fears may have come to fruition and then you would have seen, you know, risen, the risen army of undead legionaries, right. Mm-hmm. Like as well as, uh, the German, German, Germanic tribe culture. Right. No, I, I think, I think it was fun. I think it was really successful. And it was exciting. Yep. I, I'm, I'm glad we got to play it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh, I had thrown about there on the, on a discord and I've thrown about like what's next. And I think we had promised someone a world war two. Mm-hmm. Call it Cthulhu scenario. I have had one in mind, and someone. Uh, so a hint for your listeners. I don't know if any of the players. It doesn't matter if the players listen. So someone. I don't know. Was it you? Someone gave me an idea that it might be cool to have something appear from a previous adventure in a newer adventure, uh-huh. even if it's not with the same characters or anything remotely related to the same characters. Um, right. So I, I might do that. I think I've done that before. And it's kind of fun because it shows like a continuity of of the world. You know, right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But but I guess the next thing we're, that's going to happen, though, that, that and I'll talk about it when we do, but we're going to go back and finish where we stopped in the Broken Lands game. Right. Yeah. yeah Broken Lands is a, like one of my first games after joining the audio dungeon discord and it's it's right now it's kind of on hiatus for one part of the group um which i usually run regularly on a monday night but we're trying to you know self turn over players with the covid situation right so we have we're on hiatus so we can recruit more players and then we took a break from the other broken lands part which was a sunday morning game um and they're in a in a big goblin city and it's, it's kind of more you know, it's definitely not a traditional even D and D type of game because it's kind of more like gangs of gangs of New York, gangs of San Francisco. It's a city-based yep. adventure. The player characters are carving out their their niche uh, in 
sort of underworld politics. Um, and I've done pretty, I've been pretty successful, um, and we're continuing with that that little adventure group. And they're they're actually we had taken a break to run the Invictus, um, just for maybe a change of pace. While they're in the middle of a like a sewer crawl, we'll pick that up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're following what we're assuming is a, a dragon that hatched out of an egg. Although we'll find out what it really is when we catch up to it. But right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Ha I definitely had contingencies in the Invictus game if things had gone south. So, right. No, well, and that's the advantage of having a great group of players too. Mm -hmm. You know, they. I, I think everybody really, you know, played to their roles and they, they, they made a, a effort to give their characters personality mm -hmm. and to, um, you know, to stick to that personality, you know, whether, whether it was the, you know, for the most part, non-combatant surgeon or whether mm -hmm. it was the book dealer, antiquities dealer or the noble woman or the legionnaire or the centurion, you know, for the most part, I think everybody really did a great job of, you know, or the slate or, you know, from the previous you know, from the first part of the adventure, the slave, right? Mm -hmm. So, so for the most part, I think everybody really, you, you made a great effort to to stay in character and to you know inhabit the role and to make the world work. Right. Yeah, and I I like uh, Capilla Invictus. Um, the latest version is done by Golden Goblin Press. Uh, Oscar Rios is the uh, line editor, and there's a number of people contributing to the Invictus book. Um, based originally on Cthulhu Invictus by Chad Bowser, who uh, developed it for the sixth edition uh -huh. of the game. Um, so I think this is where you ask, uh, what, what would I have done differently? <laughs> what would you have done differently, Carl, <laughs> given the option? Uh, so in hindsight, Varus's Folly worked out really well. I really wouldn't change anything in part one, I think. Part two, I probably should have outlined a little better and had an actual plan and maybe even written like a, a timeline out um, instead of trying to figure it up, figure it out on the fly or in between adventures from the get-go of the, you know, it was because in, in the first adventure, I kind of had a, you know, direct, the first part, I had a, you know, more of a direct uh, idea of what Arminius and his allies were doing. Uh -huh. and the second part is a little is more vague, and uh, maybe left up to what the characters were deciding to do. Sure. And so kind of more riffing off the characters, a little more spontaneous than planned. But in the first one, of course, I had the outline, you know, using the Osprey book, uh, Todeberg Forest, um, as a guide. Um, and the second one is kind of made up. Yeah. Well, the well, the good thing is it none of that came through. the The idea well, that you good. were doing, I mean that in a good way. The like the you know you're kind of going the fly for the second mm -hmm. one, and maybe not you know the mm -hmm. and even if you're playing it out, you know, I mean, I could see having a time frame from when you leave the village, right? The um, right. Yeah, but I, I didn't want to get caught up in characters like mucking through the woods because that wasn't the right. exciting part to me mm -hmm. i mean i made it pretty simple um you know it was, it was cool to have like one encounter to realize that there was danger mm -hmm. and hey that could have gone really bad too so who would have known i mean 
I mean, at various points in the game, uh, a slip up here or there by the characters or the wrong decision here or there, either too much violence or not enough action uh, could have gotten them captured, uh, could have delayed uh, their response to the, the big bad ritual. Right, so I did have like, so, so for example, had that patrol guys gotten away and then you would have had an encounter with Arminius and like, you know, a whole, you know, a platoon of German cavalry, which mm -hmm. against you guys could have been probably pretty, pretty deadly or disastrous, even with the Chelsea allies, right? Right. And you could have been captured or killed. Yeah. Well, one thing I thought was interesting, and it's definitely not a bad thing. So a lot of times you'll hear people talk about, you know, always start, uh, you, know, you always want to start the night off or the adventure off with a little bit of combat or a little bit of excitement. But but the way these were crafted, I, I think, you know, we got to know the characters and got to know about them before we launched in both parts of the adventure, where the first and second, you know, we got to know the characters first and the players got to, you know, get a little role play and, and get a little attached to those characters before we actually launched into what we were doing. Was that just a byproduct of the way it was set up or was that kind of intentional to get people in the mindset? I think that's like an ideal outcome. It wasn't mm -hmm. part, it wasn't part of the intention at all, but like you said, so even though, I mean, like I'm thinking, did I mean, I, I feel like so even some of the players that weren't like frontline combatants still had a really good time. Mm -hmm. I mean, even to the end, the way the, the, Vince, he played Curtius Fronto, the Roman doctor, was always thinking medical. You know, even at the end, he, you know, when he saw the big combat at the end, he stopped to heal and, and take care of an ally instead of rushing into the fray, right? Totally yep. in character with what this player had done for the previous 10 sessions. And even the epilogue went back to, to character and planned what he had done, felt that the player felt that the character had accomplished the goals that that they had set out to do and so i did have the characters do like an epilogue it would have been cool if we had a little more time to um to have explored that but we were running up against the clock for our people in the last session and we wanted to, to get things going but it was a very exciting conclusion with the, the summon monster tearing up a german cavalry uh, the players fighting the risen Arminius and the dark druid in the in the stormy rain with whirling clouds and arcane ritual going on. So it was pretty yeah. good, and we wanted to finish that and get to a satisfying conclusion. I mean, I I montaged and rapidly got to where you were able to recover after you recovered the eagle, present it to the. Um, encroaching Roman uh, legions and the tribune to prevent catastrophe uh, for your your uh, tribesmen allies um, and other Romans you know why why expend the loss of life I think that was one of the players ultimate goals was we don't need another conflict with these people mm -hmm. yeah and, it's happening and it's been happening for 30 years and of course it continued to happen <laughs> many years after sure. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it worked out because once the, you know, once the battle was over, 
at the end there, I, I don't think doing that montage out was a bad thing. I, I, I think that was, like you say, we, we were on a little, if we hadn't been running long, then maybe a little more time in the epilogues, but I, I think it worked out. Okay. I think, I think cause everybody got to say their piece, yeah. you, you, you know, and, and get their characters, you know, give them a little bit of closure there. So yeah, overall it was a great game. So thank you yeah. for running it. I look forward to hopefully playing your next one. Would you, would you play Invictus again? Sure. Same characters are different. No, I, I think it'd be interesting to do different characters next time maybe but yeah yeah, yeah but it'd be kind of neat to see like for example if we played in we played a, a game in rome with new characters that you run into right the roman doctor or you know his descendants right oh yeah you could <laughs> definitely play in that world right yeah. and and have those characters as npcs now but right. but i think for the most part well and especially maybe not so much so colin and i had new characters for the second yeah. part of the adventure, but all these other, you know, all the original characters that were in both parts, you know, we're getting up there in years too. So yeah. I don't know, you know, which. Yeah. Maybe give, give the players the option, right. If you want to continue with your character, you know, now that they've seen some things. Right. And are kind of experts, the younger characters. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know like how much longer some, some would last. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially like Darren's character. Who, I mean, he did have an epilogue that eventually, he summons something he cannot control. And well, he was down to what, him. like thirty sanity or something, thirty-two sanity, yeah. something like that. So he was, he was pretty. I think, I think he was under thirty sanity by then. He was becoming, yeah. he was slowly encroaching to becoming a bad guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So at that um, point, it makes sense for him to be, you know, be an NPC that you might encounter in the city, or you know. Right. right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a really neat setting. I mean, the the problem, of course, is the the time issue because there's so many neat settings. Like you know, like Gabriel really wants to do the the Acton Cthulhu, do the yeah. He already, he already has like a character theme and idea, right? Which and, and you have to admit, I mean, it's always fun to punch Nazis, right? And and yeah. World War II is such a interesting time to to mix us in. I mean, you see it in plenty of movies, everything from the new Overlord to the Hellboy comics to you know, yeah. you name it. And uh, I do have a title for the Octon Cthulhu game, though. Operation Jersey Devil. There we go. So we should. Yeah, I mean, there's Octon Cthulhu. I get to punch, you know, Nazis working for the the Black Sun. Um, uh, we talked about uh, some Dark Ages Cthulhu, which would be mm-hmm. kind of neat too. That could be and cool. Then, the the nice thing about I've always wanted though, I've always wanted to do like a colonial period or or even colonial period exploration game. Um, so that's another something else that I got in the back of my head. Oh, well, we could always but, do that too. The the nice thing with going from Invictus to to eventually, you know, here in a little bit, back to Cthulhu is they're vastly different time periods. So you're you go from you, you know the effectively your your you know, even prior to D and D kind of combat, but you're going from swords and bows and armor to machine guns and rifles. And so, so it's a nice change of pace. It's totally different world, you you know, and and then we go back. I mean, and again, how how much difference MG 42 does against a, you you know, one of these monsters, it's not really going to help you either. Right. But that, that was one of the great things. I don't know if you remember back, 
I don't know what when it, it would have been the fourth or fifth edition or maybe in third. I don't know. Whenever the um the eighty the Cthulhu Now book first came out, mm-hmm. you, you know, it was that late eighties, early nineties, something like that. Right. But anyway, the Cthulhu Now book, one of the lines in there talks about, you know, oh, when when you play because it was set in the eighties, effectively, you know, you know the upgrades, you know, you're, you, you know, you this is a little different and this is a little different with weaponry and now you have nuclear weapons, but none of that really matters. Because when you nuke Cthulhu, he just reforms 15 minutes later, and now he's radioactive. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu Villa. Yeah. After that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, the difference between you know hacking at a, you know, if if you're being attacked by a hunting horror or a hound at Tindalos or something like that, it it doesn't matter what you have; it's not going to help you any. Right. So. Well, I mean, it, it seems like the default would still be, you know, blow it up with dynamite or explosive best explosive of the day <laughs> right that's fine what might end up happening i can foresee in the octoon yeah but but yeah, I, I think it'll be a fun diversion do that and then maybe drop back to dark ages or colonial will be neat too i mean you hey, could do, you effectively do um there's a really cool scenario i think i think andy goodman's group is playing it um where all the players it's a 1920s or 30s uh, setting a uh, time period, but uh, all the characters are like criminals, right? They're mm-hmm. part of, you know, what happened in the 20s and 30s with these, you know, motor gangs, right? That, right. Like, the, the country, right? Bonnie and Clyde, John mm-hmm. Dillinger, et cetera. So, you know, you're, you're one of those groups. And we, how, do, how, how do the mythos stand up to a Tommy gun? You know, be kind of mm-hmm. fun to be too. No, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, so I think it. I think it's neat to, it, and especially you know, we do whatever it ends up being six to ten sessions. You know, whatever these end up being. You know, and then hot periods because, and like you say, it can be in the same world, so you can have those callbacks. You you, you know to things that have happened. But, you know, just basically Easter eggs is what they effectively right. would be, right? You know, but 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 I think that that'd be neat. So okay, okay. Well, I don't want to keep you. I know we're. Talking a little bit long here, but I appreciate your taking the time to come back on the show, Carl. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Okay. And any last minute thing you need to to plug or say or no, just thank you to all the players. It was a fantastic experience. Uh, I love these players and I'd do it again, you know, in another mini campaign, which I seem to be enjoying a much less time. It's a good thing, a less commitment than a, a full on adventure path but still pretty rewarding and that you get a good solid story out of it. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. And, and, you know, that's one thing that shadow of the demon Lord definitely got right. Yeah. Look, definitely looking at that rule set too. Um, maybe yeah, that's that, in the future. That yeah. There's like a lot of be neat better, things in that. Better Saturday morning cartoon thing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Speaking of that, we'll, and of course our listener, we'll do a, a wrap up after our monster of the week game. Yep. and give everybody a, a good debrief for that but that's going that's been a lot of fun like so far at least the first session was a lot of fun mm-hmm. so i'm looking forward to the next one all right so okay i'm gonna let you go carl thank you so much you yeah, take thanks it easy so much. you too okay bye who's on the phone Maybe it's 
your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, your butcher is a dustman and your moil is quite a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Zombies are rising and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.